Oh, would you open God's word with us today? We're going to begin with um, Psalm 139. Hi, Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. I think it's on page 522 in your pew Bible. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them in the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is the very word of God. The New Testament reading today comes from uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, and that can be found on page 976 in your pew Bible. Hear the word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The very word of God. I had to chuckle a little bit as, I, as they were reading the scriptures, um, Bath, um, opening God's word through a book. Um, many of you have in your hands or in the pews. Chris, a little, a different generation, opening God's word through a phone. Saw you doing that over there too. And um, I'm of yet another generation, and I use scrolls. I have to actually roll them out. But I love it that God's word comes to us fresh and new every day, every day. I'm trusting and believing that that's going to be true for us today. Um, do you remember when you first understood uh, God's grace? We first understood it. Sure, you, you saw it in many different ways. Maybe, maybe you saw it in his creation uh, as even a, a small child. Maybe you saw it in a sunset. Or I remember the first time I stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked at that big hole in the ground, and, and I was just amazed at the, uh, 
the significance of, of God's creation. And, and this is a little inkling. I remember later, it was maybe a third or fourth grader, and I was sitting out on the back porch of Hubble Street in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I was trying to wrap my brain around the grace of God, the magnitude of God. And, and, it, and, and it came to me in a vision. I, I suddenly understood it at the ripe age probably of, of nine. I understood God. God was like my backyard, right? That he was infinite, and at the end of that infinity was a fence, a nice safe fence that would keep me contained. And, and that worked for me. I understood God for about ten seconds. And then I, I wondered, what is on the other side of that fence? And I realized that the greatness of God goes far beyond what I could have ever asked or imagined. I'm guessing that Jake, you and Amber understood some of, of God uh, through your life experiences. And, and, um, and, and that was a beautiful thing. And then you had a child, right? I remember, I remember, I remember the, the grace that you experienced when you realized that God had set you apart for each other and that, and that you were going to be a forever family here. And that would have been enough, right? Um, that would have been beautiful enough. And then he gives us Olivia and all the doors are blown off of our understanding. Oh, my goodness. God has so much for us. How do we wrap our brains around it? I think that's what, that's what the psalmist was trying to do when he was describing uh, our creation in Psalm 139. I think that that's what was, uh, the Apostle Paul, with all his big words and things, was trying to do when, when he was writing to us in, in Ephesians chapter 2. And I say to us because it's not just us. It's, he, he was writing to them at the time, but, but as we discovered a couple of weeks ago, it's really a, a word of God to all of us in every age. God, through Paul, is trying to help us understand his very nature and, and character. In, in modern church parlance, we call that good news. And the literal word is gospel. And, and, and we recognize that hearing that good news has power over our lives. The words have power to transform and so over these last couple of weeks, we've been looking together at the gospel through the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. We saw a couple of weeks ago that we were made for more, that there has to be more to life than, than, than sometimes the ritual and mundane things that we do day in and day out. Every once in a while, he gives us the inkling. There's something greater. There's something beyond the fence there's some greater revelation still to come. And, and then last week we explored even, even more. We were made, that, that invitation was to be in Christ. To live our lives nestled in Christ. And so many of you tucked yourself into that little envelope called Christ, and then we tucked that envelope into the envelope called God. The Apostle Paul wants us to understand the beauty of knowing that we are in Christ. 
my great prayer for you, Jake and Amber, is that you would understand that, that you don't have to fear. I know you didn't. We talked about that. But you don't have to worry about Olivia. She's nestled in her mom and dad's arms, but she's nestled also in the loving arms of Christ. But I want to I explore this idea of gospel with you using our ten verses in, in Ephesians today. Um, I want to just remind you that there's lots of ways of understanding the gospel. There are at least as many ways of understanding the gospel as there are people in the room right now because the gospel transforms us and then we go out and using our particular language and, and our particular lifestyle, we reveal the love of God to other people as well. But let me just remind you of four pillars of the gospel, four concepts that we've studied before that help us understand the, the entirety of God's love for us. Those four concepts, just mentioning them to you again, are the good news of God's creation. This is God's creation. We can believe that, can't we? When we look at Olivia, uh, that God is still in the business of miracles, of creating something beautiful. I know you guys had a big part of this. Your love started this earthly process of Olivia's life. But did you hear? Did you hear Psalm 139? Before she was even conceived, God was knitting her together. God was making her. Jeremiah tells us that he gave her meaning and purpose before you even had that twinkle in your eye. Creation reveals the glory of God. But the second element of of the gospel uh, is the fall. Um, Though God revealed his glory to us, Rather than trusting the God who set us apart for his holy purpose, we chose to be like him. Yeah, we had a piece of that action in Genesis chapter 3, right? And, and when Adam and Eve chose to put themselves in God's place, they set the table for us doing that as well. And every single one of us in the room has done that. We've chosen to step into the place that only God deserves and separated ourselves from him. That's all part of the good news. How is that good news? Because when we realize that we're apart from God, then redemption, our third word, redemption is available to us through Christ. Though Adam fell, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, did not. He lived the life that Adam could not And then offered that life as an offering in our place so that we might be in right relationship with Christ. When we say those those, um, liturgical words, the blood of Christ, we literally mean the life of Christ was given in our place. And that's great news. Through Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. And not only redeemed, the penalty of our sin is paid But the last part of that classic representation of the gospel is that one day we will be fully restored. Jesus is coming again for his own. And and one day he's going to restore all the brokenness. He's going to make right all the injustice. He's going to heal all the woundedness. He's going to take away even the memory of the pain, and we will be restored back to the relationship with God that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. Well, that's a, a wonderful way of understanding the gospel. But I want to I give you one, uh, another one today that is easier sometimes in the midst of pain. 
in the midst of brokenness to understand. And, and it's the essence of the gospel, now not in relation to creation and fall, but in relation to sin. In relation to sin. Now, we're going to define sin in a moment, but, but, but hear this as a, a, another way of approaching that very same gospel. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, His life is substituted for yours. You are saved and you're set free from the consequences of sin. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you take away even the last, the last warrior against your soul. You take away even, not just disease, but you take away even death. Death, how did Paul put it, has lost its sting because of what Christ has done for us. So if, if we have fallen short, even we, who, who wholly apart from what Adam and Eve did, have fallen short of the glory of God, if, if we have been set free from the penalty of sin, then we will spend eternity with Christ. But, but it wasn't just something that happened in the past. I remember the day, the day I understood that and put my trust in Jesus Christ. I've shared it with you many times. It's August 23rd, 1973. I know, back in the days of scrolls. But, but uh, I trusted Jesus Christ. I was set free from the penalty of sin. But was God done with me then? Not at all. Not at all. He's still in the business of recreation. He's still in the business of restoration. And not only have I been set free from the penalty of sin, but I am being set free from the power of sin. The Bible uses a a big old long word for that. Sanctification. Um, Sanctus, made holy again. The process of being set apart or made holy that's happening right now. That's why I'm so grateful. Uh, when, I, when I stumble, and it's on a regular basis, I don't think I've stumbled since at least 10.30 this morning, but, but when I stumble, I can, I can rest on this truth that God's not done with me yet. He's still in the business of saving me. And I'm being set apart. My sin is covered by Christ's work, but I'm also growing day by day in the likeness of Him. I'm being set free from the power of sin. But there's one more beautiful concept. Just as in the other creation, fallen redemption, there also is restoration. There's going to be a day. Oof, just had a wave over me. Do you ever sometimes um, fear for the generations that are coming? And when you have a child, um, sometimes you find yourself fearing for your children. Right? Uh, and just as there will come a day when everything is restored, there will come a day, the Apostle Paul is saying, when not only will be set free from the penalty of sin, not only will we be, are we being set free from the power of sin, where we shall be set free even from the presence of sin. I know that that is, is greater than my mind can comprehend because I've, I've known nothing but sin or falling short of the glory of God all my days. So, so Paul is saying, not only were we made for more, not only were we made to be in Christ, but today in the second chapter of Ephesians, 
He's saying we were made to be free from sin. And the way that he helps us understand that is by looking at what we were and what we are and what we shall be. The second way of looking at the gospel. What, what were we? Paul does not pull any punches. If you still have um, Ephesians 2 pulled up, he says, here's where you, the way you were. You were dead, he says. You were dead in trespasses and sins. It's interesting that he uses two words for that. Have you ever wondered why in the Lord's Prayer some people say trespasses and some people say death and some people say sins, right? Um, which is it, right? Well, the concept of falling short of the glory of God includes both of these words. The times when we step across the line, right? That's a trespass. When God says, like a mom says, if you touch that, it's going to hurt, right? And, and, and the child touches it anyway, steps across the boundary that mom set. Sometimes we step across and trespass the boundary that God has set and, and, and experience the consequences of that as a result. But I love God that, that he also recognizes there's sometimes when we know what is right to do and we don't do it. That's the debt word. That's, that's when, you, when you know and have the ability to respond and don't do it. And, and don't do it. You were dead in those sins of commission, right? Those transgressions. And you were dead in those sins of omissions, those debts you never paid, those things that you could do but did not do. Every, every uh, time I have a TV on... There, um, there's this picture that flashes on there and it's a bunch of people going like this and moving slowly toward whoever the protagonist is, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's called The Walking Dead, right? I remember it from Sixth Sense and Bruce Willis, right? The little boy says, I see dead people, right? Long before Bruce Willis saw it, long before Haley Joe Osment saw it, long before there was ever a walking dead, God recognized that there are people who are alive physically, but dead spiritually. He wrote a letter to them in Revelation chapter 3, one of the seven letters he wrote, by the way, to a church, to people who called themselves followers of Christ. And, and he says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. You are dead. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know the hour. I will come against you. The movie is not that far off. There are there are people who are walking the earth but dead to Christ, dead to the gospel. He puts it very particular here in Ephesians. He says they're following the course of this world. And, and, and let me just summarize these three things. And the evil one who's now at work and the passions of their flesh 
carrying out the desires of their body and mind. We will look at this in depth another day, but this is the classic obstacles to the very grace God wants to pour out to you. And it's helpful if you just kind of lock them in your mind. I'm so used to saying it a slightly different way. I I say it as the world, everything around us that is opposed to the purposes of God, uh, our own flesh, right? Our own flesh, unless we we think that somehow we're saved from that, uh, John uh, writes these words in John, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires. Why would you want to be a part of that? Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So those are the classic three things you're going to war with until that day when the Lord comes. The world and all its cultural influences around us that are opposed to the things of God. I could, I could make a list right now of things happening right here in Evansville that are opposed to the will of God. But I don't need to look to the world. I know those things are going on in my own heart. The passions of my own flesh, my desires, the desires of my uh, flesh, the desires of my eyes, my own pride are hindering me from experiencing the grace of God. Paul says, because of these things, we're going to experience the wrath of God. I don't know what you hear when you hear the word wrath. We are children of wrath is actually the way he puts it. Um, I don't know what you picture, but uh, for some reason in my mind, when I picture wrath, I picture uncontrolled rage. Anybody else go that route? I mean, uncontrolled rage. And so early on, I had a fear of God that if I made him mad, are you following me here? I don't mean to step on your toes here, but, but a lot of us had parents who we feared the wrath of our parents and, and transferred that fear from our parents to our uh, God instead. And so we just assume that there's this, this mad God out there who's mad at us and can't control that rage and, and is going to hurt us if we get near him, right? And so a lot of us have kind of shied away from that understanding of God, but that's not wrath. Wrath in the scriptures is not uncontrolled rage. It's measured response. It's measured response. If, if we cross a line, there is not a God who's out of control, uh, who, who flies into a rage and wants to hurt us. No, there's, there's a God who says, you have to understand there's consequences for crossing that line. And, it, and I set the line there like you set the lines for Olivia. I set the line there for your safety and for your well-being. Just as we prayed for Olivia that she'd never know a day apart from the love of Christ. That's God's desire for you as well. That you would never know a day apart from the love of God. So Paul says, two people, two followers of Jesus, this is what you were. What you were. And, and today, if, if you find yourself identifying with that, the story's not over yet, Right? We're not condemned to that weirdness, to that past. 
but it's useful and helpful to remember it, to remember what it was like following the course of the world, the evil one who is now at work, the passions of our own flesh and body and mind. And then he says just two words. I heard it when Chris was reading. But God, right? But God. The world may be going to hell in a handbasket, right? But God. I may be a slave to the passions of my own flesh and my own body, my own mind, but God, right? I, I may be in a spiritual warfare with someone totally opposed to the purposes of God, the evil one himself, and, and, and losing the battle, but God, but God, the, the way we were is not what we are. But God, being rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which he loved us, I'm sorry to keep beating this drum, but I just love watching you look at Olivia. I mean, you know, um, doesn't it make sense that God looks at us that way, right? He looks at us that way. What we are is alive with Christ. We are alive with Christ. I know, I know. The people around him saw a dead man on that cross. They took him down. It's not like they were fooled. It's not like they didn't understand what was going on. They understood completely what was going on. That's why they put him in the tomb. It was a dead man in a tomb. And God validating everything he'd ever said about Jesus, made him alive. You look at yourself and, and, and you're going, I feel dead. I feel dead to God. But God is the one that can make you alive. God is the one who raises you up. Look at this. With Christ. There's nothing in and of yourself that, that would make you worthy of God restoring you to spiritual life, to, to helping you to be born again. There's nothing in you that would, that would cause God to do that, but, but he raises you with Christ. And, and you can know, beloved, just as you by faith believe that Christ rose from the dead, why Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that's important, that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because you rose with him. You rose with him. Well, let me ask you another question then. Where is Jesus Christ right this moment? Right? Where is he? And, and we use words a little loosely. Um, a lot of us would say, well, he's in my heart. But in reality, he is physically right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Interceding for us. Right? And, and don't miss this. Paul says, as sure as sure as the sun rises in the morning, you have been raised with him and are seated with God. You are not God. You're seated with God in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, who is God. I know. Wait a second. I thought I was in a pew on 5600 Oak Hill Road. Your body is but your spirit is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? 
That's the promise that we have. That's the hope we have. Not anything of ourselves, but because we've trusted our life to Christ Jesus. And this is where it gets really beautiful. This is where it, we, we ask ourselves, I'm going to skip something for a moment and come back to it. It's, don't worry about the slide, but how can this be? How can this beautiful promise be? He tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, not justice, not even mercy, not getting what you deserve because you didn't deserve it, not even mercy, not getting what you deserve, before you ever were aware, Christ went before you and gave you this gift of grace through faith. And we say that really particularly. Grace through faith. We are saved by the gift, not the wage, not the earning, by the gift of God's unmerited love through the step of trust. I saw uh, Olivia as I first took her and all of a sudden her, her face just kind of went, you're doing what? And, um, and then I distracted her with a bunch of words and she got to see the beauty of the congregation around here. But when I, when I first started to take her away, her face got alarmed for a second, right? And, and this fear came over her for just a second. Why? Because she trusts you. She trusts you. Um, and so many of you who are part of her family, she knows you, she can smell you, she, she's family, she trusts you. God says, I want you to trust me. I want, I want you to put your weight down in who I am and what I've done for you. I want, I want you to receive this gift of grace by trusting me, by putting your weight down on me. So how can this be? It happens by grace, something God does, nothing that we can do, through our believing in it. God, I believe that Jesus gave himself for me. I believe now today that I am in Christ. And I don't have to fear the future, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what wiles of the evil ones surround me, no matter what failures of my own flesh have beset me, or will even be set me. My trust is in you, God. My faith is in you. Well, why? Why in the world would God do that for us? Why should we, of all people, be saved by grace through faith? He says it right here in Ephesians 2, 7 and 10. So that in the coming ages... He might show you the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Because of His kindness. Because God is kind. Contrary to all the things that, that people who are living in fear say about God, the thing that God, where God's grace lands on us is His kindness toward us. He does not condemn. Oh, there will come a time of judgment. This is not that time. There'll come a time where, where if, if we have no other person substituting for us, that we'll bear the weight of all of our choices. But this is not the time. This is the time of grace. This is the time of being able to say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. 
Because of his kindness, God saves us by grace through faith. But he doesn't just save us from something. He saves us for something. I skipped it earlier, but but in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's workmanship. And, and I love, I, I, I honestly love, a lot of people have translated that word, we, that word, we are God's masterpieces, right? And it is a beautiful imagery. I love it, and, and, uh, and I, I, can, I can live into that. It's not actually what it says. Um, um, uh, the actual word is poema. I think I might have even printed it for you in there. It's poema. And it's the same word that we get the word poem from, Right? Uh, and if you know anything about poetry, sometimes poetry is is radiant and beautiful, and sometimes it is it is pain filled and, and a cry out. Right? If you want an example of it, just read the Book of Psalms, God's poetry book for us. God is saying, "You are a unique creation, each individual one of you. I set apart before the foundation of the world, and I crafted you and formed you." But there'll be seasons in your life that are glorious and radiant, and there'll be seasons in your life that are painful and hard. But put together, they weave, they use that imagery, a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful picture of the grace of God. And though you don't understand it when it's happening, you look back at the end of your life. I mean, I mean could you imagine something, read it so long ago, so beautiful? As Olivia, I think you could because you, you remember when your children were born. When you look back, then you see God's hand at work. Because of his kindness, God offers you grace. But it's grace not just for you. God still has meaning and purpose for you. It is awkward in this, but he says, we are his poema, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not because of good works, but for good works. In other words, God's not done with you yet. He has meaning, incredible meaning, and and purpose for your life. And he saved you to invite you into that purpose. God has meaning and purpose for your life. I know it's not hard to believe for Olivia. It's just this beautiful, pure little child. It's a little tougher to believe for Dave, right? Because I know Dave. I know the failures. I know the things. That's why God's great invitation to you is grace. Do you know how much God loves you? And how, like a child, he overlooks your falling short because he cares so much more about being in relationship with you. It's about his amazing grace. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you. Thank you for Paul, who... who was able to put into words what we so longed for. Oh God, we have lived for so long under judgment and condemnation, sometimes by important figures in our lives, but probably, God, the worst being ourselves. 
But we could not forgive ourselves for falling short of the beauty and the majesty that was ours in your creation. God, thank you for grace. Thank you that your love extends much farther than our sin. And God, if we would just risk it, if we would just have the courage to say to you, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm helpless, as helpless as Olivia in her mother's arms. God, I cast myself on you and trust you, God, to look beyond my brokenness, look beyond my pain, to look beyond my foolish words and even accusations against you. To meet me, God, where I am and to invite me into so much more. Oh God, I, I trust you today. Not because I have an amazing amount of faith, but because I have an amazing God who loves me more than I could ever imagine. Meet us here. We ask in Christ Jesus' precious name.